The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. So glad that you can join us on this Saturday. And you know what? We are just effing lazy this weekend. <laughs> We've had you say our... that like that doesn't happen every weekend. <laughs> We've had our fill of uh, pizza pie and soda pop and the carbs and the caffeine have us kind of yeah, I had bogged like down three summer alert. sausages and a hunk of cheese. Hey, 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 I don't want to. Never mind. So uh, this week we're just kind of kind of talk about stuff. We've done this in the past and not really prepped for anything and just see what happens. I do have this uh, comment from uh, Tim McGrath from Holland, from Holland, PA, in regards to our conversation about The Walking Dead when I was trying to figure out what the tagline was for Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, about He's the, from uh, Holland, isn't that weird? <laughs> no, that's from Holland, PA, Pennsylvania. Uh, the tagline for the 1978 Dawn of the Dead was, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. I have a mini poster of it signed by Romero. Met him at HorrorCon about four years ago in Maryland. I met Freddy Krueger last year. The cons that go to Cherry Hill, New Jersey are cool. The same one twice a year with a new theme every year. Adam West was there last year. I just started listening to major spoilers, but have loved the critical hit for a year now. Love it. Keep up the great work. Say hi to Matthew and Rodrigo for me. Hey, Matthew. Rodrigo. Yeah. Tim wants to say hi to you guys. Hi, Tim. <laughs> Hello! Are you guys uh, are you guys into going to uh, places to meet like famous people, celebrities? I'm really not. I honestly. mean, who who are celebrities to you? Who are people that you really, really respect as as creators that you would just be like, oh, this is really awesome that I got to meet this person. Um, I mean, everybody has a different kind of list. Yeah, I, I guess like I would like, and and here's the thing, I I think most of the time I would just like to be able to have a an, an actual conversation yes. with the people that yes. I that I have some amount of not not necessarily like oh my god I love you in this I love you in that right, but actually right, get right, their right. thoughts and maybe some stories about what right. they do. Um I'm actually a really big fan of Phil Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh he's, he's used to be in Mad TV, he's a voice actor. He does right, the voice right. of Hermes and Futurama and yeah, like yeah. Jolie Bindo in uh and he's Amurai Jack and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he's someone who's involved in a lot of cartoons and 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 shows that i really like right and oh he's he's the, also john stewart he's john stewart in the jlu so phil lamar for example is somebody that i would like to have a conversation with and talk yeah. to him about over you know, just hang out in the bar or whatever and yep and and talk to him about voiceovers and what he does to prepare and you know just kind of you remember you know, him just, in pulp fiction yeah exactly he was in pulp fiction too what part yep. he gets he was marvin who got off. shot in the head <laughs> okay all right he was key to that plot Yep, because without uh, Marvin, we wouldn't have had to have the whole sequence, and they wouldn't have been in the diner in the first place. Yep, he's Wilt from uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He's just all over the place. All right, Phil Lamar. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I I do like uh, Kurt Busiek. You know, we talked Mm -hmm. about Avengers Forever and the and the Mm -hmm. other show this week. I think that Astro City is 
one of the few books where I like go through it and it's like everything about it is right. Mm-hmm. Like everything about it is, you know, it's it's kind of this take on the Mar- on Marvel and DC and their histories. Yes. And it is both like historically it is like in its own weird doing its own thing way it's historically accurate and it's always interesting. Mm-hmm. And just like talking to him about the amount of like research or whatever that he did into it or just, you know, what hasn't he gotten a chance to do with Astro City that he would like to do? You know, that would yeah. be really interesting. Right. Right. Anybody else that really kind of stand out to you and Mm. Anyone else? You write write a little book there, a little <laughs> yeah, kind of story with some protagonists. I, I am taking notes here, so it is kind of. Uh, um, Fusick's thing with Astro City, he said on a side note, interrupting Rodrigo. It's also about comics history. Yes, because the uh, what is it, Mount Kirby? Yep, where the yeah. first family lived, and um, the the prison is named. Byro Island after Charles Byro, who uh, created Crime Does Not Pay for, uh, I don't remember which company that was for now. I think I want to say East Standard. Let's say Standard Comics. Sorry, I had to open some email there. But uh, I did that on purpose, Stephen. I apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> I would love to see Busick. The one that I really wanted to see. I did before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Who was that? And that was Steve Steve Gerber, whom I met maybe seven, eight years ago at mm-hmm. KC Comic Con or Planet Comic Con, one of the Comic-Con. two. Yeah. And it was really dead. And Steve Gerber was just sitting there. And I went and I found an issue of Fear Number 19. And I went up, had him sign it, my first appearance of Howard the Duck. And I just talked to him about nothing for about five minutes and things, you know, and stuff. And it, it was it was pleasant, and it kind of felt like I was just BSing with somebody that I knew, somebody that I was hanging out with. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were going to go, well, first of all, I don't like people. I think hell are other people. Who said that? Ionesco, <laughs> uh, maybe? Could be. guy named Bob. But to me, the concept of Sorry. going out, like, there you go. Comic-Con, going to Comic-Con with 14,000 people does not sound like fun. It sounds like an exercise in ways to annoy me. And here's a little piece of Matthew Psyche. I will not go to the Walmart in Topeka, Kansas, the big super hyper Walmart. Well, some people would just say that you're being very intelligent and smart by doing that. But this is the thing. Here's something that and this this annoys the hell out of me, and I think Comic-Con would make this terrible. As I walk through the Super Walmart in Topeka, Kansas, A, I am 6'3 and 385 pounds, so I am visible from space, okay? <laughs> but I'm not the biggest person in a Super Walmart of an evening, generally. There's at least one 600-pound woman in lime green hot pants. It has to happen. And people run into me. People bump into me and crash into me. And one woman put her elbow in my chest like she thought I was going to crush her. Literally did it on purpose. Looked me straight in the eye and elbowed me in the sternum. And it was all I could do not to twist her head off like it was a bottle cap and then just scream fatality. So I feel like if you were going to, if I were going to go to Comic-Con, that would be just like a recipe for knife in the eye. I would be that guy who somebody somebody irritated me and I strangled them to death with a major spoilers t-shirt. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, if if I had a chance to, like, go and have, like, an Algonquin roundtable dinner yeah, with, like, Gail Simone and Kurt Busick and Mark Wade, you know, people that I really enjoy, people who I think would be fascinating to talk to, that I would do. But, so, like, you know, going going to Comic-Con and sitting and watching people on a panel or right, right. having no, five I'm talking minutes about, to talk to I'm, somebody, I'm talking about sitting down over dinner or drinks or in the lounge or whatever. And talking to people, who would you want to? Who would you want to really meet? Not mm-hmm. fan wise of, oh gee, Mister So and So, would you please sign my comic book, please? Oh thank you. Oh, I'll never watch this comic book again. George I went, Carlin. I went to He's, a uh, live li- living people. I went to a comic store once with a friend because Alex Ross was going to be there. Yeah, and there was this big long line to to get stuff signed by Alex Ross and. I just kind of, I mean, I, 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 I knew who Alex Ross was, mm-hmm. and I knew that he was a big deal, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I didn't get in line. I didn't go buy a copy of uh, Kingdom Come or Earth X for him to sign. Um, I just, like, my friend got in line, and I just went around and looked at comics, because in that sense, that is something that I'm not into now. I wouldn't mind having a conversation with Alex Ross or asking right, him right. a few things, like, you know, about his creative process. <laughs> or knife in the eye! Or knifing him in the eye. But really, I would want it to be a fair fight, so I would take off my glasses and hand him a knife um, just to see if he could, if he would match up. Um, but, you know, and that kind of thing where you're just like, next, oh my God, was was Spider's Man maybe really Mysterio? Oh, yeah, maybe. Okay, go away. Yeah. Next, oh my God, I love what you've done with that boomerang guy. Right. You and know, that's yeah. kind of the problem that I have when I go to conventions yeah. because I really hate like when and you really Rodrigo, you need to go with us next time Planet Comic Con is going mm-hmm. on in Kansas City because you could meet Kurt Busick and he doesn't have a lot of people crowding his table. Weird. My problem you could meet is Matthew. I was I went up to Planet Comic Con and I was really excited about seeing Phil Noto because mm-hmm. he was there and I wanted to talk to him, but I get up there and he's sketching and he's madly sketching away for all these commissions that he's already got lined up thirty minutes into the show. And so, really, I get up to him, and I'm kind of like Matthew, too. I'm not really a people person and crowd mm. person kind of thing, especially with people that I don't know. Um, so it's kind of like, oh, hey, you know, I really enjoy your work. And, uh, you know, I really think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. I think you got a great concept and, and great eye for capturing, you know, this, this style. Mm-hmm. And that's about all I could say to him because it's like I don't want to interrupt you doing work that you are going to get paid money for. Right. And so it's really kind of those weird kind of situations. But, you know, Planet Comic Con and some of these other smaller conventions around the country, um, it was really weird when I got to meet Marv Wolfman mm-hmm. uh, at Planet Comic Con again a, a few years ago. He's just sitting at the table by himself, and I just went up to him, and I was like, you're Marv Wolfman. And it's <laughs> like we had a five-minute conversation about stuff. And it was your conversation mostly, dude, I'm like, dude, dude, you are Marvel. Marvel and then it's like, you're doing some Teen Titans stuff right now. You know, that when he was, he wrote a couple episodes of Teen Titans at that oh, time nice. for the television series. And uh, he was doing some other things. And just a little fun, just kind of talk with him about stuff. Um, one of the, you know, one of the people that I would certainly put on my list, and I've got, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people that I would really just like to sit down and have conversation with on an ongoing basis. I think this one might surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison. Mm. I, you know, as much as I, you know, and a lot of people who've been following major spoilers over the last couple of years know that there are times when I simply despise what he's writing. Yeah. And there are other times where I'm like, you know what? I can see this. I want to just sit down and have, well, I don't know if he drinks, but I want to sit down with him and just have Morrison. 
Yeah, I just want to... Grant Morrison? <laughs> well, we know he does other things, but I don't know if he drinks. But, you know, I would love to sit down with him and just have a drink and just discuss things openly without him, you know, getting all offensive and uptight about mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I don't know if he does or not, if people were to criticize him. And, and really, if I just said, you know, what the F were you thinking when you did this? You know, and have him give an honest answer instead of a PR-fed answer right. that you often have to hear at, at con conventions. So Grant Morrison would be one that I would really like to sit down and have an extended conversation with. Mark Wade obviously, would mm-hmm. be another one. And we kind of have. There is, if you go yeah. back on the archives, right. we had an interview with Mark Wade, and, and he was very candid about things. Yeah, he was. And I, he, he told he us what about he liked failures. about his career and what yeah. he didn't like about his career, definitely. And uh, as people listened last weekend when I talked to Chip, we, mm-hmm. we may be able to get Mark back on the show nice. in the near future. So who knows? Um, That'd I be would, cool. you know, I would really just like to hang out with Kevin Smith for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, the things Kevin Smith says that he does in an average afternoon, mm-hmm. I, I probably don't want to be a round four, but he might be somebody that I would just really like to get inside his head and talk to him in an honest, honest way, honest and open way without, again, him getting too openly offended. And he had a, um, he had a great thing on his Twitter feed the other day where he was talking about uh, somebody who really criticized uh, Jersey Girl. And how he said that he essentially banned this um, reviewer from, I think it was LA Times is the guy, mm-hmm. banned him from mm-hmm. all future screenings. And the guy showed up to a screening and he had to eject him. And then, But then he set up a private screening for this reviewer for uh, Clerks 2. Mm-hmm. And the guy gave Clerks 2 a glowing review. And he says ever since then those two have been really good friends. I want to see what makes Kevin Smith tick in that, in that right, way. Right. And, it, you know, that's something that you don't even get even as a um, – you know, a quick interview, meeting somebody at a convention, those kinds of things you don't you don't get into the minds of. You know, somebody who's really honest that, I mean, I would just be like, part of me would be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But the other part would be, hey, man, let's talk. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. That is somebody that I would love to have a big, long conversation with. I think that um, guy, I, I would like to, to to sit down and, like, talk to guys like Bruce Campbell Christopher Walken, William Shatner, that have kind of turned mm-hmm. their careers kind of slightly into parodies of their, mm-hmm. you know, the, their early careers. Right, right. And see where they stand yeah, as because, far you know, as that. If, if they if, have any resentment, if they're completely cool right. with it. Because the cool you know. thing is, if you're actually sitting down with William Shatner and he's being friendly and you're having drinks and you're yep. chatting, you could say, Bill, how do you feel about having become a mockery of yourself? Mm-hmm. And he might give you a really honest answer. But if he were to come onto the podcast... That's a question that you wouldn't be even able to ask right, right. because the PR flack would say, okay, this interview's over, delete all the tapes, the end. Right. Or he would get offended and hang up or whatever. But, right. you know, if he were just having an open, honest conversation with you, he might be more revealing about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and to I ask, don't know if I would, I would say it like that. Yeah, no, I no, wouldn't no, phrase I mean, it like that, definitely. Well, I mean, it, there's varying ways that you can phrase it. But even to the point of, hey, in your um, album Has Been, there is a song um, where he's talking about – I don't know if it's that's me crying, if it's that song or not, but it seems very eerie because it seems to be reminiscent about there's a couple of lines in there about pulling this body from a pool. Mm-hmm. And I always want to ask, was that really how the song went or did you add that in? Did that happen before your wife died or after she died? That's something you couldn't ask at a, right, at a convention right. kind of thing. Um, and if you haven't listened to that album, fantastic album. That's not the cover one. 
That's it, one he's doing a lot of. Yeah, that's oh, all the okay. covers one where is that he the does one that the has common people. Yes, it is, <laughs> and that is, I tell you, listeners, you have to go and get that album if you haven't. If you want to hear Shatner at his best, mm-hmm. he's not doing Rocket Man. He's not doing uh, you know the I from the sixties. My bags last night, pre-flight. He is. It is an Zero awesome album. It is an awesome album. Anybody else on your list that you would l- want to go and and hang out with <laughs> and have a conversation with? See, I, this is not something that I think about a lot. Um, Nor when I. I a lot of the times when I'm reading comics, I don't notice the uh, who. Yeah, you know, it yeah. has to be somebody who has done a lot of things that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of how I even realize who Phil Lamar was, for example. Right. Um, a lot of the time, it's easier for me to pick out people who I really, really whose work I really, really don't like. Mm-hmm. Um. And I guess maybe talking to them would be interesting, but it's hard to have a, although I feel that I personally would be able to have a, a conversation that is like, well, this thing that you did here, I didn't like. Mm-hmm. What was the deal with that yeah. kind of thing? And, and keep yeah, it yeah. civil. Yeah. It's not, it wouldn't make for a good, like, you know, three course meal during which I'm going. <laughs> Your first question at uh, the first course is, why did this suck? And then yeah, the rest so, of the conversation. Yeah, is exactly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so now let's move on to Lady in the Water. Right. What was going on there? Would you, uh, would you do it like uh, the actors, uh, what is it, the actors theater or. Um, Oh, like James the Lipton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you do James Lipton? I, I would. What is your <laughs> you favorite word in Greek? <laughs> Rodrigo, I'd like to speak to Fake Rigo for just a moment. <laughs> fake uh, Rigo, are you hang there? Hang on, let, let me call up Matthew. <laughs> Hello, I am here. Tell me, Fake Rigo, how I would like spot? to speak to a white person now, Rodrigo. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> I just went to Taco Bell, and I had an Enchirito. (laughs) (laughs) My problem is, I'm always afraid that, say, if I were to go and actually have a conversation with Gail Simone, whom I, I intellectually am completely in love with. Right. I'm afraid that she would be disappointing, that she'd be like, you know... It, it would be like you know, having a discussion with Maud or something. It would be awful, and it would just terrify me and, and just color everything that I love about her. Because one of my recurring issues with creators is I'll love the work, and then I'll follow them to something else, or I'll find out about them, or they'll go on and they'll do something personal that just makes me want to hurl. Yeah. Like, you know... A, the quintessential example, and please don't sue us, is Dave Sim. When I was in college, um, my at the time, Otter Disaster was my roommate, and Otter Disaster loaned me uh, a Cerebus trade. Right. And I read this, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I bought it, and I read, and I read, and I read. And it started you know, going to a very personal place for Dave, a very personal and somewhat off-putting to me as a subjective place. And I, and I started trying to figure out what was going on. And I started doing a little bit of, you know, background and figuring out what's up with Dave. And Dave was saying things and espousing opinions that I could not internalize. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it, it, 20 years later, 15 years later, of course, you know, what, what Dave was going through is all public, but at the time it was, it was very disappointing to me. And it really made the end of Cerebus. I dropped out. 
in like the 250s and didn't come back until the very end of the series in issue 300. So for like five years, I stopped reading the book because I was so disappointed, even though I still love the character. Mm-hmm. But I was disappointed by the fact that the artist and what that artist had become in my head was overshadowing the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I want to yeah. know about what's behind it. I want to know why Gene Roddenberry decided that women in the equal 30th century should all wear black tights and, and a skirt so short you can tell they're Methodist. You know, I want to know things like that. And then you find out why and you're kind of like, oh, well, that's entirely disturbing. Oh, so you're worried that you'd be ultimately disappointed. Hmm. I'm worried I, that it would not only ruin that experience and that meal, but it would ruin everything else that Creator X or Person X had done. You know what? You really need to get on the Twitter. You really need Why? to get Twitter and follow Gail Simone and see what she's posting and writing. I think you'd get a kick out of it. I think it might make make you more at ease about talking to some of these people. I well, mean, it's it, not even it so much some of these Gail people Simone that, You know, I would love to have a conversation with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs may be a huge D-bag. When you sit down and talk with him one-on-one, he may just be like, you are a nobody, mm-hmm. you know, but he may be really cool and very open about things. I don't know. I'm, I'd be willing to take that chance if it was the one I, and only chance. See, there, there's a list of people, you know, vaguely in my head that I'd like to have sushi with, and there's a corresponding list of people I might like to eat sushi off. <laughs> um, I, I had a terrible Please crush in the 90s. Please don't tell me Steve Jobs is on that list. <laughs> no. I had a terrible crush in the 90s, and I still kind of want to meet uh, Joni Lara, who uh, portrayed the character of China in the WWE. Yeah. And yes, I've seen the picture. Shut your face. I wasn't going to say I know, anything. But I, I, I've always just kind of, you know, I, I want to someday like go to like the, the Bartle Hall car show and get my picture taken with Joni Lar because, you know, 1991 Matthew deserves it. But <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, again, I'm afraid if you ever watch like the surreal life uh-huh. where celebrities are like, oh, this is this is how we live our lives. And you're just like, really? Yep. Or, you know, it, Cribs. Cribs is a horrible example. You know, you'll have somebody who's like, hi, I'm known for portraying brainy types and doing really, really great think pieces in movies. And here's my hot tub full of whores. <laughs> oh, yeah. And here's my here's my giant pink H3 that I drive down the street screaming, Rumsfeld! Man, I you sure know. hope you don't ever come visit me at my house, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Steve and I visited your house when it was a little apartment down on 2nd Street. Uh, oh, my. It was things just have changed. you and a man-bat action figure and a stack of used toilet tissue. No, sweet, never mind. You know, especially just, in music, I've I've completely decided not to do any research. Because very often, rock stars are actually literally insane and have ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous opinions about things ridiculous uninformed opinions about things right because you know what they do they make music they don't yeah, you know yeah. they're not world leaders well, they're not into... this or that and i think that music especially music should stand on its own sure if it's a protest song then you're getting that guy's politics in a nutshell right, right. but you know, it, it's it's one of those things that allows me to say, personally, without any feel of that I'm being hypocritical or anything like that, y- you know, Thriller was a fantastic album, mm-hmm. and man, Michael Jackson was a total freak. 
Right. And there's no problem for me there. I mean, you know. Sure. Because there shouldn't be. Because their music should stand on its own as right. music. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is why largely I don't follow them because you know there are certain things oh sure that is very difficult to work around and say yeah i know this guy definitely is a terrible person mm-hmm. but i'm still gonna listen to his music and if i don't have to deal with that that makes it a little easier okay well i mean that makes sense i mean if you don't you know, I mean is that way you feel about a lot of a that's lot of people? the way i feel about most things again mm-hmm. unless <laughs> for example um i recently Became aware of uh, this guy named Neil... Neil Young? No. C- Patrick Harris? Neil Patrick no. Harris? No. <laughs> Neil Ciciarega. Okay. He basically invented... He kind of invented the <clears throat> genre of ridiculous um, epilepsy-inducing flash animations. Okay. On the internet. <laughs> okay. Um, and he's like 23. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But... As I'm, as I went back and sort of did more research on him, I realized that everything that's funny on the internet is somehow connected to him. He's done like his uh, one of his videos is like the 18th most watched thing on YouTube is like this Harry Potter puppet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He did Adrian Brody Quest, which I find hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did his band Lemon Demon did the ultimate showdown that we had on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's all the same person. So sometimes researching somebody will lead you to more things that they have done, sort of in other media. Right. But that's about the end of it for me. I'm usually not. Oh, I wonder how this person feels about gay rights. I honestly don't care. Uh-huh. Well, I guess my the whole point of this is I, I guess for me I like to ask questions, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's the kind of questions that I have in my mind, questions that like when we had our interview with Mark Wade that you can only ask in certain situations, mm-hmm. and you know you could go out and do all the research Matthew in the world on Gail Simone, and even on message boards where she's posting, and she may be a little reserved right. in some of those responses. Maybe she won't. I don't know. But um, I think the biggest <clears throat> the biggest reason why I, I, I have this list of people I would want to have dinner with, Charisma Carpenter, Kevin Smith, Bill Willingham, <clears throat> is because I find these people fascinating and I just want to know more. And I just want to ask those questions and be able to hang out in a very comfortable atmosphere where they know I'm not going to go run off onto a website and say, well, I had dinner with Charisma Carpenter tonight, and tonight we talked about this, 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 and this, that and might here's be, what she really said. That that might be difficult, seeing as how you actually run a website. Yeah, and that is part of the problem. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. really part of the problem. But I think the more that you have interpersonal communication with, and there's, it's, it's interesting in that, you know, there's things that are said on the record, mm-hmm. and there are things that are said off the record. And I've had conversations with, with people uh, who help us with the site that have been very on the record statements. This is what you can say. And this is what I will say about Mm -hmm. this subject. Then there are things when the recording stops that we talk about and the person's like, Hey, wait a minute, this is totally off the record. I don't want to tell you about this, this and this, because this is really stuff that we don't want out. And that's fine. And if the person trusts you with that information, Mm -hmm. then it's, I think in the end, it's going to be cool. And I think that's how you build a strong relationship with people if, is if you know what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. And I think, we may, you know, maybe even in real life, 
maybe we've all had instances that's where, yeah where we've yeah. run into problems like this where Matthew confides in me about something that he wants really to be kept between us, and then I go running off and saying, oh, hey, Rodrigo, did you hear what Matthew did nah. last week? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Or, and then suddenly it gets or out. And then taunting me right in the middle of a public broadcast, as you have done in recent weeks. What? <laughs> yeah, we'll go, we'll go off the record. <laughs> and I think the main difficulty with that, and I can't necessarily go into too much detail, but this is what's been happening, and we've talked about this in my office. People don't know the difference between I heard this and right, right, I right. can talk about this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there, there's a point where, and this is true of anything, there are, there are recent discussions that the three of us have had that I know that all three of us want to make sure never, ever <laughs> reached the record. And Rodrigo knows what I'm talking about right now. Never, ever reached the recording stage just because – for whatever reason, you can't necessarily be in a public forum and say the same things that you would say when it's just three idiots knocking around, you know, before or after a show. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, that's kind of the thing. And that's one of the things that would be frustrating is if I could hang out with Gail Simone and be like Gail Simone's gal pal. And I keep mm-hmm. saying Gail Simone because, you know, it's, it, she's one of the people I really, really enjoy, regardless of what she's writing. If I could be that person and hang out with her and, you know, go to the Burger King with her and talk about whatever's wrong with her feet, you know, that would be one thing. But a 10-minute conversation at Comic-Con will never be anything more than, you know, and I'll be like, I talked to Gail Simone. And Gail Simone will be like, yeah, there were about 500 fat guys at my booth this weekend. Right, right. And that's that's, that's the reason why I I put it into this over drinks, over dinner, over whatever, because mm -hmm. that's a totally different experience. Even that, I think, would probably be not the same as what we'd kind of hope for, that complete immersion in the life of the person. It, it, like, and I said George Carlin. Mm-hmm. George played, played Topeka while I lived in Topeka, and I didn't go because I didn't have $35. Right. And you regret that? And then, that? yeah, about six years, ago, six years later, George up and dies because he was 70, and that happens. But I, I now look at that and I go, man, $35 seems like such a small price to pay to be able to say, I saw George live, you mm-hmm. know, at TPAC. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of those things where if I had seen George live, what if it was an off night? What if it was the night where, you know, George was having issues with, with his heart or something right. and it just wasn't good and it wasn't as amazing as the HBO specials that I grew up with and it wasn't as amazing as sitting in, you know, my 73 Super Beetle and listening to a place for my stuff over and over and over and over and over. So I'm, you know, I'm – and I, th- I think that there's an example of this right here on this show. We are internet famous. ha, ha, ha. And the people who listen to the show like listening to us, even though, you know, I can be strident and you can be opinionated and Rodrigo can be noncommittal. These are all important things. But people who listen to the show and hear us talking, even right now, when it's basically just stream of consciousness and I've been going on for like 17 minutes, they don't necessarily, you know, you listening to the show, you won't really have that full experience of sitting and talking to us. Right. And that's, that's the problem that I have with people that I admire. Again, it goes back to that whole Dave Sim perspective. People that I admire, I, I, I'm not only afraid that they'll be awful, I'm afraid that they'll be wonderful. And then, you know, after that hour long meal or that 20 minute discussion or that five minutes at KC Comic Con, 
then my life will go on and that will be the end of that wonderful. And then I can go back to reading this stuff. You know, what if I have the thing where I'm Gail Simone's best friend for an afternoon Mm -hmm. and then I have to go back to my life and go, man, I was this close to Gail Simone once. She's going to file a restraining order. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I mean, I don't know. You know, when we talk about, uh, you know, people listen to the show and even, you know, even now I think we're being somewhat reserved in things that we talk about. But oh, yeah. I think it's it's that comfort level because you go back to the beginning of the Major Spoilers podcast when um, Scroll Brian was on, and it was a lot of Scroll Brian and I having conversations, and then Rodrigo would say something, and it's like, well, I don't really talk to Rodrigo because I don't know Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. And now Rodrigo and I talk about all sorts of crazy stuff yep. about what's going on, except Rodrigo is still very <laughs> closed about what goes on in mm-hmm. his life. Oh, you know, That's some right. things happen. I can't tell you about it. And then I have to go over to Facebook and find out the real story. Right, because I totally posted on Facebook. I'm like, Stephen asked me about well, stuff but today, you know, but don't tell him. You know, I, will say, I thing. will say this, Matthew. Even if you had a chance to go to a convention for five minutes, shake Gail Simone's hand and say, Gail, you know, I really appreciate everything that you... Or just shake Gail <laughs> Just shake Gail Simone's hand. Woman, well, I like you your stuff. You know, I am such a big fan of yours. I, you know, that there's something to be said about that experience just so that you can get it off your chest and maybe when you're 95, sit in a chair and say, I remember when I met Gail Simone. Uh, my good friend Charlie White and I went to uh, to CES a few years ago, and at the same time that CES goes on is the adult um, video uh, convention, <laughs> right? Which makes a lot of sense since they're driving well, the and industry. I, and, and essentially before um, the adult video expo or whatever it's called, um, they used to be – CES used to have a huge porn component because mm-hmm. that's where the sales were coming from. Uh, you know, CES used to be also about videotape sales. So they used to have movie studios there and all that stuff. And the, then the adult convention broke off with that. Well, Charlie and I were just like, why don't we just try to get press credentials and go in and do stuff? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And we're going to go in as a couple of fan guys, but we're also going to talk about it on the show because, as you said, porn does drive the industry. And I had a chance to meet Mika Tan and Charmaine Starr and, and a lot of these others that I have a lot of, of res- I don't know, not respect, but, you know, that I really enjoy and, and like a lot. Well, isn't it respect, though? I mean, to a certain degree. Yeah, 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 it is. And so I get up to Charmaine Starr and I'm just like, oh, I, I like your stuff. But I had that <laughs> moment to sit with, to talk with her for like two seconds, two minutes while she's signing an autograph mm-hmm. and just talk with her just really quick and say, hey, you know what? I really like your stuff. I only get to watch about 30 seconds of your movies. That's all I've ever get to see. So you must be great. But, you know, I, I, I did remember saying one thing to her. I said, you know, you really are a good actress. I would like to see you in other things. And then three years later, Black Dynamite. She's in that, right? Nice. So, you know, I, I can't say that, oh, I had a feeling. No. But it, it's nice to have that connection where you can talk. And then there's Mika Tan, which I've had communications with on and off through the years. And it's nice to go up to her and say, hey, you know, we've shared emails before and have her go, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of nice, too, to be able to say that, oh, yes, I recognize who you are. Uh, and it's nice to meet you, even if it's just that. And then off we go and we don't talk for another five years. That, I think, is is fun. But I, what I'm talking about is just really sitting down and just saying, so, Gail Simone, what's really going on inside your mind? I would I would like to talk to Catman. Yes, 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 yes. <coughs> so that's the reason no, why I changed my mind. Twee. I changed my mind. So what sort of twee would you want to be? Yes, exactly. So that's why I just brought that up. I just mm-hmm. am curious who you guys would really want to sit down and have that that long conversation with. One thing that's Superman. that's interesting about doing this show is that just without really thinking about it, I've had a couple of like weird reverse geek moments. Um, like like. Um, when you told us that, I don't know if it's 
one or both of the Atomic Robo guys mm-hmm. listen to Critical Hit. Right. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would they do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then um, the guy who was like the creative director of Ben 10 mm-hmm. did that... Uh, the that Kablamicus little drawing, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Kablamicus yeah. drawing yeah, yeah. Uh, for us. It just it seems completely backwards to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like we should be yeah, getting him on famous. because you know I've really gotten into Ben Ten. Yeah, recently, and, and you know it, there, here's the thing about Ben Ten. I always I would look at the show and say, you know, I don't much care for the writing on it, but the art is incredible. Yeah, it this is. This is exactly the kind of drawings that I like to see What's, on a cartoon. And I don't know, when when did you and start did, watching Ben 10? Uh, I, I started watching it at the very beginning and dropped out very oh, okay. quickly yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt that it was doing superheroes in a weird way and kind of, like, with all this superhero history that you had, mm-hmm. they were not picking and choosing the proper things that would most benefit the show. They were kind of just kind of not doing it right it, right it seemed and kind of stumbling and had a lot of like uh plot holes and stuff like that so i was just mm-hmm. like nah. they're they're getting a pass because it's a kid's show but i'm i just really but don't see here's what's it. the cool thing about that show is once you get past you know most of the first season and you start mm-hmm. going to the second season then all of a sudden it blows up into right, this right. huge continuity driven right recurring villain you know this, they actually age and they do some you know space spanning stuff it's my son loves the heck out of ben 10 mm-hmm. and he's three and he understands what's going on and he just loves it to death and so by default i have to sit there and watch every ben 10 uh episode, episode and just have fallen in love with that oh, yeah. with that series and it's really good but yeah i can understand you you know the first time and i mean it's always and i think maybe it surprises all of us whenever we have a creator pop up on the major spoiler site and say, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry yeah. you guys didn't like this right. uh, this piece that I did. Yeah. I'll try to do better. <laughs> and that's another one is, is getting some amount of, you know, it's like, well, I'm sorry that you yeah. didn't like that. Or, oh, no, you had this totally wrong, my friend. Yeah, like, yeah. even that yeah. is just yeah. kind of like, oh, awesome. This guy's actually paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that always creeps me out a little bit. It does, yeah. It is, it is weird. Well, the first time it happened, and I remember the first time it happened clearly, I had done a thing on uh, Heroes for Hire. And it was right about the time that we had the brouhaha about the cover where there were five heroes, four were women. Shang-Chi was like way off the back and you could see his hands. And the four women were all tied up, hanging, and there was like implications of tentacle hentai going on. Mm -hmm. So all the girls were like busty and half-dressed and they were covered with, you know, gleaming glistening fluids of an unknown nature and i i reviewed the book and i and i called them on it i'm like there's a scene where the girls are covered in sticky green fluid and it's cut to where they're framed from chin to hip bone and they're standing like they're trying to wipe the stuff off but it's kind of like a stripper in a milk bath wipe it off and kind of and i said that it felt kind of you know thing and the artist popped up and said well, that's not what I was trying to do. I was trying to make the scene interesting. There's only so many ways we can frame it. I didn't want it to be all headshots. And, you know, I read into that whole thing, let's perv it up! And he's like, no, I just wanted to frame the shot in a way that was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminded me for a moment that just because I see it doesn't mean it's there. 
Or it doesn't mean that that was the artist's intent, well, definitely. Well, yeah, right. but, and see, that's one of the reasons why it may be a good idea to be able to sit down and have those conversations, because then you can say, what were you really thinking on here? I know there's a, the Did most recent- Did you really mean for that, the hilt of that sword to look like testicles? Yes. Brian Liam yes. Right. Well, you know, in the most recent uh, Detective Comics review that I did, I kind of said, why is David Hine calling- you know, calling this group of people that just spontaneously break out into this crazy stuff, why is he calling it a mad mob instead of a flash mob, which is what we know mm-hmm. a flash mob to be? And so then people are like, well, maybe he really means this, or maybe he really means that, or maybe you're just an idiot, Stephen, because you don't understand the difference between, you know. Well, they pegged that part. Hey. What? But the, but the thing is, the only person who can really answer that question is David Hine. Right. Right? And so... Let's call him up and say, hey, David, what's going on with this? You know? Yeah. And so it's, it's nice when, when creators do come in and, and have those things to say. Mm. And add a little bit to the conversation. I agree. But there's also that moment where as, you know, as a – I don't want to use the word critic. As a reviewer, as a recapper, as a – A reviewer. Intar, an interweb schmuck. Oh, really? Because I there totally are times, consider myself a critic. Okay. Really? Well, you're more critical than I am. Yeah. Um, but mm. there are times when I read a book, and this was the one that really got to me, was we that, that Marvel quoted me on Iron Fist. They're like, hey, Matthew said this was a good book. And then when I, you know, I was doing my next Iron Fist review, a little voice in the back of my head was like, should we put in something quotable? Mm-hmm. And I had to squash that down because I can't, you know, the opposite is true. I can't, you know, savage a book and, and want to have somebody come in and go, well, you suck. This is what I meant. But I also don't want to be that guy who I'm writing a review so they love me. Right. So that Marvel or Dynamite or, you know, Boom is going to show up and go, well, Matthew loves us. Why don't you? Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, it, it, to some degree, that that thing is like there in the back of my head. It's just like, join us. <laughs> well, Be that's, that's kind of a different conversation too, because well, yeah, but it's on the same sort of track. No, I mean, you know, it, it does. It is something that's tempting, and it is a subtle way to uh, control people. You know, give them that that carrot and that reward, and mm. say, hey, you know, you did you did this really well. We're using this quote, or we're doing this, and so then it does plant that seed. That can be very difficult to pull away from mm-hmm. and say, hey, wait a minute, the emperor's wearing no clothes or the emperor's clothes were fantastic. I'm giving them five slices of meat. Fabulous. And then you, you know, then you wind up again and again and again on, um, you know, on, and being quoted from, from different things. And it, ha- right. it, it really and it, it happens it all the time. And then, it of ties course, back into that point. and then that carrot and the stick goes both ways again, where it's like, oh, you're always talking good about us. Well, here, here's this freebie or here's this or here's this opportunity or whatever. And then it, you you can unwittingly get drawn into oh, definitely into that right. world. And I'd it's, be I'd be afraid to be I'd be afraid to be sycophantic fanboy if I met somebody that I really loved. You know, like, say I had the chance to meet just right off the top of my head, Steve Englehart. Mm hmm. And I'm like, oh, I love your word. The, the, the Joker fish is one of the greatest stories ever. And I'm, I'd, afraid, I'd be afraid to be sycophantic fanboy. You know, the opposite of the comic book guy. Best episode ever. I love everything you've ever done. And, uh, a lot. You know, I'd, I'd, I would hate to have them walk away from that thinking that I was a putz. 
Right. My dinner with Gail Simone, I'd be blogging. It was wonderful. And Gail Simone would be like, you should hear about the schmuck that I ate with today. <laughs> they should make a movie about how much of a bore this guy is. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's a fair saying. enough answer. No, no, that's a fair enough answer. I got. Uh, I like. I was caught up for just a moment reading a Thomas Perkins uh, Deviant Art page. He's mm-hmm. the one that did the right, Kab- right. Kablamicus issue for and us. I, so. and, and it's funny because I'm like, oh man, you know what was awesome when some guy did this? Because I'm terrible with names. Oh, I'm so am I. So it's like, and you know, um, but yeah, he was that, from that Ben was, 10? Yeah. Wow. I was like, oh, this guy's art is awesome. Looks a little familiar. I'm going to, what? He did the some a lot of the alien designs for Green Lantern First Flight. Yeah, and that's what you were like. I think that's when wow. yeah. you said, hey, wait a minute, Steven, do you know who this guy is? And I'm yeah. just like, he's just an artist that did some cool stuff. And then you were like, explain nope. it to me. And I was like, hey, that's really cool. We need to get him on the show. Yep. We'll get him. Hey, Thomas Perkins, if you're listening, if you're still listening. Uh, contact me. And by this point, he's like, Rodrigo didn't know my name. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, I meet so many people on a daily basis. And, and I eat at his restaurant every once in a while. They have great <laughs> chocolate chip pie. You meet so many people on a daily basis. And, you know, we've talked about this before. The, the rule of getting somebody to remember something is to repeat it seven times. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to be that guy that's like, you come up and say, hey, I'm Rodrigo. Oh, hi, Rodrigo. How are you doing? Uh, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, tell me more about what you do. Rodrigo, uh, boy, that is a fantastic clothes you're wearing, Rodrigo. Rodrigo, I understand. And then just repeat it until you memorize it into yourself. Right. It's like someone can come into my office and say, this is so-and-so from XYZ City. And I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. And we can have a nice 30-minute conversation. And then that person can walk out and come back in 10 minutes later. And I'd be like, what was your name again? Right. Or even at the end of the conversation, I'm like, don't remember your name, right? But I remember who you are, and I'm kind of that finesse, way. not Keenan. I'm kind of finesse, that way not Keenan. What's that? Oh, I'm, there's a Will Ferrell episode of Saturday Night Live where he's being introduced to the cast, and you hear his thoughts. He's like, "Finesse, not Keenan. Finesse, not Keenan." Oh, in my okay, head. all right. Um, I'm really sad that Thomas Perkins' art appreciation moment of the day apparently is one of the images that was lost yeah, to the video. Yeah, that's why I was. That was what I was looking for. But yeah, just go over to Deviant Art. It's uh T N Perkins. Let's see. My eyes are bad. T N Perkins. Deviant And you can see all of his stuff. Cool. He did all a lot of the Batman um Batman Strikes mm-hmm. art as well. Yeah. I like going to DeviantArt Deviant Art and looking at all that stuff. Oh yeah. There's some good stuff and there's some not so good stuff. I mean I don't know what this is, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Man, I've seen some weird stuff on DeviantArt. <laughs> it's pretty deviant, right? Well, it's called deviant <laughs> art, you know. I don't think that's what they meant by that. Though. They might have been. They might. Really? Think have so. you no. looked at people's no, icons? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no, no, no. Deviant <laughs> art is called deviant art because that's cool. Is that what it is? Oh yeah. You had mentioned it's something earlier, Rodrigo, about, and it's kind of like me, and I've said it before. I don't follow. Um, don't follow creators or artists and really, mm-hmm. you know, if you handed me a book and I looked at it and read through it and then said, Stephen, who wrote that? I wouldn't yeah. be able to tell you. Do you then find yourself following more titles of interest until the story becomes boring and you don't want to follow it anymore? Or are, are you somebody that says, oh, my gosh, Thomas Perkins did this. Now I must find everything of Thomas Perkins and devour it. Um, That it has to. No, I, I don't do that. Um, 
what usually ends up happening is I'll pick up a book and say, what are these X-men? Right. Um, X minus men. That's a math yeah. formula that doesn't make any sense. That's very strange. I guess it's because X only have one Y, one <laughs> X chromosome. And, um, <laughs> but after that, I'm like, oh, look, there's another book with the X-men in it. I also like this book. Oh, I also like this other book. And now I like the X-men, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a TV show and I like it. And then eventually it's like, what are some X-men stories I really like? This one, this one, and this one. Oh, look, they are all written by the same guy. Now I will find something that this guy did in another place. Okay. But usually it's just like this very long coincidental process where I'm like, hey, I like this story and I like this story and I like this other story. And oh my God, they're all Mike Mignola stories. Right, right, you right, know? right. But you don't go to it and say, oh my God, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon, I must follow everything Joss Whedon does. Well, certainly not with Joss Whedon, but <laughs> um, no, I, I actually don't. And sometimes, you know, there'll be an artist or, or, or a writer that I actually know that I really like, right? and I'll still won't pick it up. I mean, I don't follow everything that Kurt Busiek does. Avengers Forever, I picked up, you know. Yeah, when I was uh, in Ohio last, just because I was like, yeah, you know, I really like uh, Pacheco's art. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it turned out to be a Kurt Busiek story, and yeah, I yeah. had no idea that it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't read everything Mark Wade. I certainly don't yeah, read the Spider Man stuff that he. You does. know, he wrote stuff for um, the City of Heroes comic. I think he had oh, really? one or two issues. Of oh, it. that's pretty cool. And that also did not make that comic good. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew what about you do you follow what do you do follow titles follow artists follow writers I follow oddly enough previews if if I read previews and they sell me on something then I'll follow it regardless who read now there are there are writers who I'll follow wherever they go Mm -hmm. and there are certain characters and titles you know whatever it is if it's got the 3d man I'm there but lately, that's even following characters is not something that I'm so into because recently you'll see characters come back for like a four issue revamp that that is sucks, mm-hmm. and then they'll do it again and they'll revamp them like four months later as something completely different. If you want a good example, read uh, the last five Creeper miniseries from DC. They're like five completely different takes, and they just keep throwing stuff at the wall until it sticks. But for me, I remember the the first time I was really like, this is going to be awesome, and I was so disappointed, was like Age of Apocalypse. Hmm. Because the way they were describing it and all of the information and all of the previews and the backgrounds was just like, this is going to be awesome. And you know what it was? What was it? Was, it? It, was it was an X-Men album played backwards. <laughs> Is exactly yeah. what it was. It was just devil eggs are tasty, devil eggs are tasty, and it didn't gel for me. So, like, right now, one of the books that I'm loving, and I can't get anyone else to jump on board with me, is Doom Patrol. I read Doom Patrol because it's awesome. I read previous incarnations of Doom Patrol off and on. I've read stuff by Keith Giffen off and on. I don't remember who's writing or drawing the book now. But as soon as Ambush Bug showed up, I'm like, ah, Doom Patrol. Yeah. Keeping that forever. Sure. I guess I'm the same way. It's I will follow some characters, but more often than not, when I'm flipping through previews and I mm-hmm. see some really cool piece of art that catches my eye, which is, again, for publishers, I guess it's kind of important to in- try to include as much art as you can. Because yeah. when I'm flipping through previews the day before it's due, or for me, more likely, 
three days after it was due. due. I'm flipping through quickly and I'm looking at pictures. I'm not reading a lot of words. And then if I see a cool picture, I go, oh, what's this? And And I read it. Hello, GG Studios. (laughs) Well, that's a perfect example. And they have sent us two issues um, that have fantastic art. And then when you start reading the story, it's like, wow, this is a great story. But at least it catches my eye and makes me go, what is this about uh, Skeleton Detective? Oh, this Mm -hmm. sounds very interesting. Let me put it on my my pull list or my want list. And that's kind of how it billows from there. Now, if it does turn into something like Flash that becomes very interesting and I want to read every issue of Flash until it doesn't become interesting anymore and it drops off my pull list, then then so be it as it goes through different creators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, What's that? Yeah, I know. What? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something about Barry Allen and not being cool anymore. So that's, you know. Well, you know, to be honest, I haven't really honestly read Flash since Wally West disappeared into the Speed Force. and Or actually, when he came back with, with two kids. Mm-hmm. And then the kids started doing some weird, weird powers. At that, about that point, I said, you know what? I'm done with this series because it's moved beyond just Wally and his relationship with Linda. It's now something more. Which, I, you know, I can appreciate what they're trying to do there, but it just didn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I read one issue of the Barry Allen Returns. Didn't, didn't, haven't, didn't read any, like. haven't read anything else in regards to that. So here, here, here. Yeah, yeah, there, there. Yeah. That's another. That's a whole another podcast unto itself, really. All but right. well, let's talk about. If some you <laughs> go ahead, if you if you follow something that you absolutely love and it starts to suck, yes. Does that does that ruin it for you? Because you know the current Barry Allen story has been halting. For me, but I still, you know, I can go back and I can read my Barry Allen stories that I love. I was, uh, we had oh, a Flash yeah, yeah. 123. Yeah. A Flash 123 show up in the store this week and also a 110. The 110, finally, we sold it real quick, like, but first appearance, Wally West, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to go back and read some old Flash books. And they were maybe not as good as I remember, but they were still a good read. Well, and that's what uh, prompted me to put uh, Batman Year One on the list for Tuesday because. It appeared on. It, uh, it's the been iPad. five minutes since we talked about Batman, right? But it appeared on the iPad, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember Year One." And I don't want to dig through my comics, and I really love that book, and I don't want to d- dig through my trade collection to find it. I'll download and read those four issues right now, mm-hmm. and I did, and I was like, "You know, this is still a real fun book, even though some of the things that are going on in Batman right now are not fun." Uh, yeah, I can still go back and, and read things, you know. Um. Sometimes it's a recommendation from people that get get me to read something. Um, Dark Horse just sent us Black Sad. Um, I think it's a European book that's been adapted. Mm-hmm. It has, I, yeah. It came in today, and I have not had a chance to really read it. But holy freaking crap, the art is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this is probably next to the GG Studio stuff, which is also from an international company. Mm-hmm. This is some kick-ass awesome art i mean yeah well of course the, there's also the whole furry sex aspect too that's as, in there too. as far as entertainment goes the united states is really bad about stuff like this oh yeah no crap all, of, do you all think? of the american companies are very very threatened by outside entertainment 
Yeah. Um, which is why Americans don't know who Asterix is. They yes. don't know who Tintin is. And everybody else does. It's why all of a sudden everybody was like, oh, wow, look at this. Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Did you know that they made cartoons in Japan? Yeah. Whereas, you know, in other countries, you know, in Latin American stuff, people have been seeing cartoons from Japan from the very beginning. Well, and just, we you know, had Speed Racer. I watched Ast- Speed Racer. You had Speed Racer and you had Astro Boy, but those were like the few that made it through. I mean, there were in Mexico, there were blocks. There were entire two or three hour long blocks of Japanese cartoons. Mm-hmm. Well, but anime, I mean, if you you're will. talking about American entertainment, you're, dire- you're absolutely correct. Look at all the movies coming out or that have come out mm-hmm. that are the audiences are like, Wow, this ring movie is fantastic and yep. incredible and it's mind blowing. You've never seen anything like that. Uh, unless you follow international film and you know that that's a remake of a Japanese movie or yep. this uh, this one that everybody's got all the buzz about now. It's uh, Please Let Me In or uh, something along that lines is a remake of another international. Yep. So this raping of, uh, you know, uh, pillaging, I guess is a better word. Yeah. Pillaging uh, of much international. Material well, and, and, then and slapping and really, a sticker on it and the, claiming it and, well, and, and and it's it's that it's that I was like oh well all these people are French people aren't gonna like that right let's cast it again and we'll have we'll, we will keep it European we'll have one person played by a British guy probably the bad guy yeah <laughs> yeah you know and all of a sudden it's it's an American version of a European movie. And along the way, they drop a few of the things that kind of made that film interesting to begin with. Or that American audiences might say, huh, that's weird. Those guys still have phone booths. Or, huh, that's weird. You know, everybody's taking the train anywhere. I haven't seen a car. Or, oh, that's weird. Why does everybody smoke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I guess... I don't know. Maybe it's uh, us dumb, egotistical Americans thinking that... It's not that. I think it's like... It is... It's... It's and and I hate to sound like a total hippie here. It's capitalism. It's it's the American companies feeling threatened by European companies, and because there's such a huge deal in entertainment in the United States, mm-hmm. they block it at every chance. It's you know if if you follow the rumors or if you believe that whole deal, which I kind of do, about you know how they've been basically. And you know, cock blocking the electric car like right, from right. the very beginning. Right. You know, and it's oil companies and it's yes. car companies yes. that have been trying to keep this from happening. It's the same deal. Well, and I, I was gonna say, but though but you ask uh, an American citizen, and mm-hmm. here in western Kansas we have this proliferation of windmills right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you ask the average citizen, they would be going, oh, these windmills are the coolest thing. We must lead the world in all these windmills because I've seen them going up left and right. We're America. We're number one. We must be top. Uh, right. You know, the Dutch have been doing this for, you know, 20 years, yeah. 30 years. Or, when we've I've got a I've got a 10 meg download on my internet. We are the number one world. And then you go to Japan and they've got like 60 meg download. Right. We are like 17th in the world when it comes to internet access and speeds. But you never hear that. No, you don't. Because, you're right, it may be the cock-blocking by these big companies, the telcos, the oil companies, the movie studios, Mm -hmm. that don't want you to know that, hey, everybody, if you can read subtitles, there's a whole world of fantastic cinema out there. Or if you're willing to indulge in comics from Europe, there's some fantastic stuff out there. They want to bring it in, make it their own, make their own money off of it, and say, hey, look, it's new. And only, only... You know, this this GG Studio stuff that uh we've reviewed? 2006 is when those books came out. No, absolutely. I mean, um... 
Skydoll that Marvel is mm-hmm. bringing over and yeah, translating, yeah. it's been going mm-hmm. on for much, much longer. Right. You know, it's not a new thing. Hey, you know, there's this new guy, Judge Dredd. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be an awesome. Exactly. Oh, it's I heard that, that they're going to do it. And that's really the ridiculous thing is that. They're just ripping off that Sylvester Stallone thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like even places like uh, the United Kingdom and Australia, you know, places that speak English where you don't even have to go through the trouble of translating, they're still blocked. They're still right, kind right. of like, oh, no, no, they're not going to get that. So instead, we're going to make a movie with iced tea as a kangaroo. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll make sense. <laughs> Then again, Tank Girl doesn't make sense to begin with, so maybe I get that one. That particular <laughs> instance, maybe I understand. <laughs> I, you know, it's just it's fascinating to just see that that kind of mentality. Just we made a joke earlier about New York being the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people think that it's the center it's, of the universe. You know, it's it's kind of crazy because. Even, you know, it used to be that people would make jokes about Chicago. Like on Saturday Night Live, you know, a lot of those guys come from Second City in Chicago. So they would make jokes about Chicago, but even that's gone away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like there there aren't even, there isn't even another city in the United States that is super cool. Except except maybe LA, but it's not as much fun to destroy LA because there are earthquakes there and the buildings aren't a stall. Well, and that's, I don't know, there's a big difference... It's easier to blow up New York mm-hmm. because everything is so confined. Yeah. It's harder to blow up Los Angeles because you can drive for 20 minutes and still not reach the other side of the city. People know? don't have to know that. But, I mean, people look at Las Vegas and they yeah, just yeah. think of the Strip. Right, right, If right. you blow up Las Vegas, you just blow up the Strip and that's it. <laughs> blow up you just building. blow up downtown LA and it's yeah, good yeah. enough. I mean, yeah, you're yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's just... But it, the I, thing about New York that's, that is also... It's iconic. Right. Yes. The right, New York right, City right. skyline is... Big enough to be recognizable, but small enough to trash all of it. Mm-hmm. But like, why is it iconic? What is it? It's because it's in every movie. Mm-hmm. But it was iconic before they started blowing it up. Um, it, it, one of the only things to like about the movie Deep Impact is that sequence where the tidal wave wipes out the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's like 20% of the trailer. It's a four-second chunk of the movie. Yep. But it's there because you know it, it works. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be as much fun, you know. What, what happened? A, well, you know, aliens a... just destroyed Muncie, Indiana. Muncie, Indiana. Oh my God! Isn't Wall State University? Fun, is well, there was an interest, and I forget what website it was, but somebody had brought up the question of: Do we really need to, in movies and in comic books, and really in any kind of entertainment, do we need to really bring in real world locations? You know, mm-hmm. instead of saying Star City, what if Star City was really Seattle and right. in in that uh, incredible run of story that was told that they blow up Seattle and destroy Seattle as opposed to Star City. Is that a little weird when we're telling a movie like Deep Impact and we have to blow up New York or we have to, you know, could we we tell it by Megapolis? You know, Phineas and Ferb, another show that I I really, really get a kick out of on many different levels, Mm -hmm. not just uh, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, but the fact that, uh, God dang it, what is his name? Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker... Not Kenny Baker. No, no, no. Who is the um, who's the voice actor that we had on the show? Josh uh, Keaton. No, no, no. Kenny. Tom Kenny voices yeah. Perry the Platypus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about what's wrong with you get paid to go. You know, you get paid to do that, right? Right. But 
you know, in uh, Phineas and Ferb, they don't set it in a real world environment. Mm. Just like in The Simpsons, they don't set it in a real I'm world going location. To take over the tri-state area. They set it in the tri-state area. Where is the tri-state area? Well, we don't know. We know that there's an, maybe an ocean nearby, and it's right. got some airports and some mountains and some woods, but it could be anywhere. In The Simpsons, they make a joke of not telling you mm-hmm. where Springfield is because. There's a canyon nearby. There's a desert nearby. Yep. There's an whatever ocean nearby. There's whatever you need. What is it? In, what is it in the movie where they talk? Of, you can see here all four of the neighboring states, and they say four neighboring states right, that right. aren't anywhere near each other. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is it important to include these real world environments in films and videos and whatever? I mean, yes. in, in a movie, um, Run Fat Boy Run, which for whatever reason I know it's David Schwimmer is not a great director in that, and it's not a great movie, uh, but I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. We know that it takes place in England somewhere. Not right. necessarily in London, although the climax of the movie does take place down around right. the you know uh, the Thames River and everything. And so it, you can assume that it takes place in London. But they don't, uh, for the most part of the movie, you don't know if they're in London or if they're in a suburb or where they're at. And so it doesn't matter. And, and that's probably a bad example. But, I mean, take a lot of movies that could t- take place in a city. And do they really need to say that this is Egypt? There are as many reasons for having an actual city as there are to not have an actual city. Okay, give me some. To have it? Yes. It's shorthand. It's, oh, I've been to New York, or I know what New York looks like. Oh, no, New York's being destroyed. New York is an awesome city. They shouldn't do that. Right. Likewise, as in the case of Springfield, you can have anything available to you. You can have it snow in the winter and be hot in the summer, Mm -hmm. even though if you set it in, I don't know, uh, New Orleans. Actually, I think it actually snows in New Orleans every once in a while. But, <laughs> no, almost know. never. So you know something like that. If you sell it, if you set it in Tallahassee, Florida, right. then you're never going to have an episode with snow, right? Unless right. it's a big deal that there's snow and everybody's crashing all over the place. But you can't really have a Christmas episode, right? Right. You know? yep. And and you will notice that a lot of the time in episodic things they don't set it someplace, but in movies they do because. You know, unless it's like, here's my subtle dig at New York, mm-hmm. but it's all set in Basin City. Right. Actually, right, I don't right. know if Basin City right. is supposed to be right. New York. But, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's like, I want to say that this city is disgusting, but I'm not going to call it that. And even that brings a whole new set of uh, information that you as a viewer can then unpack on your own and make your opinions. About. Right, right, right. Which is right. interesting because – go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. It's problematic to use non-real locations because I don't know if you guys remember. We've had this discussion a time or two before with um, the Atlas of the DC Universe explaining that. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, Metropolis is in Delaware. Yeah, Maryland. Yeah. And Gotham City is in you know and New and Jersey. What is it? <gasps> yes. And Smallville is a small town of ninety thousand on the Kansas Plains, located where Wilson, Kansas, is. Yeah. Now I don't know. If, a lot of people aren't from Kansas, so I'm going to spell this out clearly. 90,000 people is not a small town in Kansas. 90,000 people, I'm not of, even sure, is Lawrence, Kansas. I work in a town that, be, that as of the, the previous census to, to this last one, because I don't think the, the information has come out. No, not yet. As of the previous census, had 100 people living in it. Really? Yes. Yes, Bunker but Hill had 100 York, people living in it. In New York City, where you have 8 million people on an island 12 feet long, saying 90,000 people, why, that's less than 5%. That must be a small town, right? 
Topeka has maybe 220,000 people. Yeah, Lawrence, Kansas, city population, 92,000. Metro Lawrence area, 118,000 people. So you're talking about greater Douglas County. And it's a pretty small town, actually. Yeah, okay, I can go with I can go with that. It's it's as as Kansas goes, Lawrence yeah. is one of the closest things we have to a city. So when you take these things and say, first of all, where's Metropolis? When I was growing up, the running gag was that Metropolis was New York from 128th Street up, which is like the, right. the Upper West Side in the shiny town, and then in the nasty parts of town down or whatever it is, that's Gotham, right? Because they're both New York, but yeah, because they are. I. When you say to me, Midway City, my brain goes, well, what the hell's a Midway City? And where would that be? But ultimately, it also does bring in the question of things like, you know, Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri yeah, are city supposed and- to be Central City and and uh, Keystone City. Right. But the way they're drawn looks like New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you come up with something and you, you make up that, that small town, that homemade town, that made-up space, that has as many problems as, you know, I'm always thrown out of it when you go in a movie. People complain about product placement when you see a Coke label. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm more drawn out of it and pulled out of it when you see a fake label where it's like cookie oh, yeah. cola. Right, right. Soda cola. It's obviously me- Yeah, it's obviously meant to be an analog for Pepsi or an analog for Burger King. You know, it, if you yeah. if you have something like that, that can be just as disconcerting. Well, just on when we were reviewing um, Avengers Forever on the previous yeah. show, on the back, I think it's on the back cover, the front cover, I forget which one. There is an obvious Coca Cola logo yep, in the background, and it's just yep. like, what the? You're right; it does take you out of the out of the action. So, what mm-hmm. would you rather have, Matthew? Would you rather have the movie you're watching or the comic book you're reading take place in a fictional city? that just says hey this is you know east coast somewhere or would you rather have them say this takes place in charlotteville it's going to depend on the fiction um the obvious example is cbs has five ten seventeen different versions of csi Mm -hmm. and csi in las vegas is one kind of show and csi amy is a different show and csi new york is a different show and based on where that show is located, the 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 nature of it changes slightly. CSI Emmy has more naked girls, but CSI Las Vegas has more hookers. New York has, you know, more characters who are, you know, black and characters who are, are Asian. But if you're in the the Miami version, you're going to see a lot more characters who are Hispanic of various, you know, island descents and things like that. It it, it does change the nature of the show. Ideally if if you have something that it doesn't matter where it takes place, or like Pleasantville takes place in Pleasantville, which is an unnamed place somewhere in the Midwest in 1957. Right. Mm-hmm. But that location, that imaginary location, is as important to the conceit as New York is to CSI New York. Mm-hmm. To me, Superman fighting in the streets of Metropolis is no more or less engaging than Spider-Man fighting in the streets of New York Unless the story sucks. Yeah. And really, I think the important thing there in that particular uh, aspect of of fiction is that I want that to be a legitimate, thought-out choice. You know, why is this happening in New York? Mm -hmm. Why is this Mm -hmm. happening in Coast City? Right. You know, right. If 
if it's like, oh, because this whole thing is just a joke, or or it's like because we're trying to make fun of the West Coast, that's mm-hmm. why it's taking place in, in in a fictional West Coast city. Right. Okay. Right. Awesome. This is taking place in New York because an important part of the plot involves subways. Mm-hmm. So, it, right. and and the fact that they're underground, so it couldn't happen in Chicago because you know, although there are underground places, most people don't know that. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. However, when it's just like, I got an idea for a kooky romantic comedy that has no relevance whatsoever when it takes place, I'm going to set it in New York because it's easy. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, you know, I think problem. Gotham City, going back to the Gotham City, but I think is fascinating because on the one hand, some people believe it's New York. In fact, you know, New York calls themselves Gotham City, right? Right. Uh, and I mean, and that's where Gotham City comes from. Right. It's from right. The, the, that old New York Gotham right, kind of right. thing. Right. Gothic. And, and, and then there's the, People that read the DC Universe Atlas and say, oh, it's really in New Jersey. And then because of the movie, everyone now thinks Chicago right, is right. Metrop- or is uh, Gotham, Gotham City. Um, the movie that I think is really fascinating that hides the fact that the story takes place in a specific city until the very end is the movie Seven. Yeah. Where throughout the whole movie, everything is dark and brooding and rainy. And you're like, man, this is taking place in a, a big urban city like Chicago or New York or something like that. And then because it's all rainy and it's dark and it's heavily lit and you don't really get a, you know, a lot of the shots when you watch them, you don't see palm trees in the background. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like Los Angeles right. until end of the movie, they're driving out into the desert and you're like, well, but what? what? Yep. And then it's told that it's, that it's set in Los Angeles and it totally, I don't know if that's part of the mind trip of the movie or <clears throat> if they just didn't really make a point of saying that this story takes place in Los Angeles. Well, and it might have been a quiet, like, you can have this happen in your own seven continuity, happen in your own city. Right. But it actually takes place in Los Angeles. I mean, you look at a movie like The Fugitive, it's important that the fugitive takes place largely in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's it becomes a plot point. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, like RoboCop, I think is supposed to take place in New York, Detroit, Detroit, or yeah. something. Yeah, Detroit. Yeah, it, it takes place in a city, and as they're driving around the city, you see obvious landmarks that it was shot in, like Vancouver, <laughs> and it's it's that's... it's there, and that's that's something that's troublesome to me. But then you also say like. A movie that I just love to death, Rent. Mm-hmm. If you were to say that Rent took place in, oh, I don't know, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, then you would lose a lot of the immediacy of what it is. Because by saying New York City, 1989, you've really given a lot of context. Even if you don't know what New York City was like in 1989, you know what New York City should have been like in your brain in 1989 to where you don't have to do that storytelling overtly. Mm -hmm. You can say this is a story that takes place in the late 80s in New York City. So picture all that in your head. It's like the equivalent of when you go and you see the guys in the comedy clubs who are like, okay, give me a location. Give me a location. A gas station. I heard gas station. And uh, what's a job that we do? Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a manual. rodeo clown. Thank you. I hear rodeo clown. I manually masturbate caged animals for artificial insemination. Great. Okay. You know, you take that stuff and those shorthand moments, you as the reader, the viewer, the whatever, have to buy into it. Mm-hmm. And you're helping to create that. So, like, I've never, you know, to my, never been to Los Angeles. Oh, you got to go. But if you put a movie in Los Angeles, 
I'll be like, oh, I know what Los Angeles is like. I have been to New York, but it's been decades since I've been to New York. Right. But everything that I think about in New York is colored by that same interaction, you know, by my perception of walking down the streets of New York 20 sure. odd years ago. Do you, um, you lived in Los Angeles, right, Rodrigo? Yep. Okay. What part? Um, the like flat Long Beach. part. Oh, Long Beach. Okay. All right. Do you ever, I mean, having lived there and I've been there you know, mm-hmm. many a time, um, do you ever then look at the Hollywoodization of these cities mm-hmm. like Los Angeles or Long Beach or any of these, New York for that, for that matter, yep. and go, yes, but no. Oh, yeah, constantly. I mean, because it's like there was a great movie from like the 80s and it was about this guy – was it California Dreamin'? I forget what it was. It was based on a song. California Girls, I, I forget what it was. But it was this guy who was going to move to from the East Coast to the West Coast, mm-hmm. and it was going to be all sunshine and lollipops and beautiful yep. women, and he was going to work on this car, and he got really rich and famous, and then it turned out at the end he was just dreaming. And then when he moved from New Jersey to Los Angeles, he found out that Los Angeles at that time was just as much a crap hole oh, as yeah. New Jersey was or wherever that was. Yep. And Los Angeles is this a terrible is, place to is, live. You know what? That's the funny thing. People are always like when I say I lived in Southern California. Oh, you lived in Los Angeles? It's like, hell no. I wouldn't want to live in Los Angeles. It's a dirty, dirty, dirty town. Yep. I lived in Irvine. It was nice and clean and pretty. Yeah. And uh, and and fantastical. Uh, you know, it's it's just that weird kind of how do we gloss over all of this stuff well, and, and make it look and, fantastic? And, and, and it's funny because Los Angeles specifically is is weird because you see movies set in Los Angeles and it's like, it's full of gorgeous people, right? Right, right, right. Which if you drive down Hollywood, um, to you know, and, and, Sunset and, Strip or anything. Right, like that, yeah. anything like that. It is full of gorgeous people who are walking around hoping to get recognized and yeah. offered work or whatever. So it is, it is kind of like that. But also, you turn the corner, and it's like there's this grime to there things. There is. I don't know what it and is about it, that. Los city. Angeles is just incredibly polluted on top of yes, it. Yes, it is. For some reason, I don't know if it's the heat and the humidity that just keeps things from floating away or what. Right, right, right. But Los Angeles is smoggy. Yeah, it is, and that's and you just rarely ever see that in a movie unless right. the movie wants. And really, that's I mean, that's filmmaking one hundred and one. Right. You just emphasize right. what is vital to the narrative yes. and gloss over the things that aren't. And it's also amazing to see these things in film, whether it be, again, pick a major city, that you see these things and then you travel to it and you're driving down the street. And I remember one time we were going to this meeting with Sony um, in L.A. and we're driving along and I was with with this guy who grew up in Long Beach and who grew up in Mm -hmm. in, uh, Santa Monica and who grew up in Los Angeles area. And he's like, hey, man, do you remember... um, uh, oh, what the crap was that movie with uh, Judge Reinhold and Phoebe Cates and uh, where she's taken off her bikini top? Maybe it's not Phoebe. That's uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He goes, remember that movie? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, hey, remember uh, American Burger, the place where he worked? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, there it is right there. And it's just this little tiny, mm-hmm. looks nothing like you know you saw it in the movie or anything like that. Oh, yeah. And it's just yeah. like you see a but, lot of that with landmarks and, and things that are highlighted in movies that when you actually go to see them, you're kind of like. <gasps> <coughs> but that's also oh. a problem. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon. Mm-mm. There's a scene in the movie Quicksilver where he's driving towards the camera and it's clearly Los Angeles and you can see behind him and then they cut to the they cut to the shot and you see the Bay Bridge behind him which means he's now in San Francisco. Right, yeah. right. In the in that shot he's gone like and if you know 
the landmarks, you know, this is L.A., this is San Francisco. I know this. I grew up in central Kansas, and I'm like, he just went 600 miles in the space of that camera reverse shot well, or whatever it well, is. Well, like in Smallville. Yeah, Dances with Wolves is the big thing, too, where he's at Fort Hayes. Kevin right. Costner's at Fort Hayes, and he's like, and then I left Fort Hayes, and it was the last time that I would see Fort Hayes ever. And as he's riding off, he's riding up this huge mountainous hill, and it's like, uh, mm-hmm. no, no, not in western Kansas. That is a fast horse. Yeah. Because he just traveled about but some, 150 miles. Yeah, and I don't know if, if they, I can't remember if the movie or in the book they actually say, Hayes, Kansas, or if they just reference that it, it's always Fort Hayes, because mm-hmm. there could be a difference. It could be a Fort Hayes. And when we place, when yeah. we talk about, and I, again, I'd have to go back and do some research, but before it was Fort Hayes, it was Fort Fletcher. So mm-hmm. depending on when the book time period takes place or when the movie time period takes place, it could actually be someone else. But, right. you know, I remember sitting when Dances with Wolves came out and everybody in the theater here in Hayes, as soon as we heard Hayes, we were like, oh, cool. And then, oh, wait a minute. What? There's this whole, this lot of confusion of, oh, that's not, that's not. They didn't. No, that's no, wrong. What's with all the? What's with the mountains? And that's the problem with watching Smallville. It's like mm-hmm. uh, there are no <laughs> mountains in Western Kansas, yeah. or in the fact that near Smallville and in, in um, I believe in the Smallville universe, Smallville is actually located either just south of Wichita or just north of Wichita. Mm-hmm. And yet Clark climbs on top of a windmill in one point, and he can see the skyline of Metropolis. Off in the distance, right. which well, well, he has supervision. No, no, no. We can see <laughs> over the shoulder. We're, of we're Tom using Welling. his supervision. <laughs> no, right. we are not. You know, I got a new TV a couple of weeks ago, and I've just been both mind blowingly blown away by this television, and, and at the same time, thoroughly disappointed. Thoroughly disappointed. And Rodrigo took a look at this television the other day, and it wasn't a good example. Right. But I mean, from the moment I've turned this on. It has ruined all television for me because it is so ultra sharp. It is so high detail for everything that I can watch a movie. And if if I watch the movie in the theater, you know, in in the greatest projection ever, I would look at that and go, okay, there's a person really riding in the car. When I watch that same movie or same kind of scene on this television, Mm -hmm. I can say green screen effect. Yep. And it really takes me out of the story because all the time now I'm just looking at it going, oh, fake, 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 fake. Oh, I can see the composition problems right there. Yep. That, those are the things that kind of pulled me out of the story very much like if, if, uh, if we had, uh, a real or, or fake setting in a, in a movie. Ah, oh, definitely. So, all right, gentlemen, I think we are done with this week's show. Yeah. This is jabber, jabber, jabber. I know. It was it just like. We just go for a certain a period and then it's like time to, time to stop. Uh, listeners, thanks so much show. for yeah, it was. I enjoyed talking because it's uh, talking with you guys because it's fun to hear these kinds of things. Mm. <laughs> Didn't get to everything that I thought we could talk about. <laughs> certainly wanted to talk about Rodrigo Lav and I certainly wanted to talk about my weird dream experience. Oh, uh, yeah. Wanted to talk about Phineas well, we and Ferb. You, that, that, you have to Miller. start wherever you actually want to talk because we're just going to fly off. Uh, yeah, that's fine. In a different you know, direction. You know, just see what happens. That's what we can do this again in the future. That's mm-hmm. what we'll do next week. Continue on. Uh, so don't forget, everybody, on Tuesday we're going to be talking Batman Year One, Frank Miller's book. We may also be talking about another Frank Miller project called Holy Terror, not Batman, but just Holy Terror, hmm. where his Batman equivalent takes on Al-Qaeda or <gasps> Al-Qaeda. 
So we'll be talking Bat about Man. that next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. If you do want to leave a comment, uh, you can email us at podcast at majorspoilers.com, or you can call them, better yet, this is even better. I want people to do this. Call the Major Spoilers hotline and leave us an interesting voicemail message. Matthew, what is that number? 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers <laughs> Hotline. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you on Tuesday. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010